so Good Friday is is this Friday, and you're all welcome to come. Once again, you should probably come early if you want to get a seat. Good Friday is a, a service for people really who call themselves Christians. We, we don't use, a, at Good Friday, we don't use a lot of metaphors that make a lot of sense to people who don't really know Jesus. Good Friday is a place for people who believe in Jesus to come and reset and refocus who we are, remembering the death of Christ. Good Friday is about, you know, it's, it wasn't so good for Jesus because he died, but it is good for you and I because it was purchasing redemption for us. So we remember that. And on Good Friday, we get to do, we do something, uh, if you come, you'll be like, that was cool. Because it's, it's different than almost anything that we do anywhere else. So It's kind of like Christmas Eve, but not. Because Christmas Eve is really happy, you know. And Good Friday is kind of like, oh. So, uh, so uh, keeping you up to speed here, our softball teams are still going well. Except our co-ed team is just awesome. <laughs> We're just awesome. We won this week 22 to 13. I know. They scored 13 runs before I even got there. So they had like the next like what five innings that I'm there, and they do like you know, I don't know. Jason's got a great bat; it's got pine tar on it. it. Gets my fingers all sticky when I hit with it. And so I went and I was and I went to the guys' game Friday night. Um, I got there after practice, so it was late. And and I get there and uh, you know they're trying. <laughs> they're they're doing good. They, they're doing really good. It's just I, I don't know. Okay, I'll tell you what happens. This, this is how it works. They, they, they get up there to, 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 to bat, and they hit the ball, and they're, they're hitting really good. But for some reason, they hit it right to the guys that are standing in the outfield. I mean, the guys in the outfield are like way back there. It's like, bang, and they're just like, oh, they don't have to move. I'm just like, well, that's, you know, why? Just take tips from the co-ed team. Did I mention I'm on the co-ed team? Anyway, uh, so Ryan, Ryan, where's Ryan? Right. There's no ultimate today. It was yesterday, right? So it's on Saturdays now, 9 a.m. Just so in case you're like, I'm going to play ultimate today. You show up there, you can be all alone and sad. It'd be terrible for you. So don't do that. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yes. Well, there you go. Throw it in the wind, catch it back and forth. And you take your dog with you. It'll be good. Uh, next Sunday morning is Easter. You want to invite somebody new, invite them to Easter. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to take a step out of John next week and do something a little different. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, actually, you won't have me hacking away on guitar back here because our guitar player will be back next week for Easter to play. Woo! Everybody loves the chick guitar player, so it's, you know, you're like, I don't even know what that means. That's okay. All right, why don't you stand the reading of God's Word? Got a lot of stuff to get through today. We're going to do a whole chapter, which is amazing. Uh, this is Romans 6, chapter, or verse 4. Romans 6, 4, it says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as a people would understand what it means, resurrection and life, and that these are from you that we would be a people who hold on firmly to the truth that you have given to us. And this morning, your spirit would move in our hearts so we would understand you more and what our lives should be. Amen. Have a seat. All right, if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 11. Uh, this is some people's favorite story in the entire Bible. This is a guy named Lazarus being raised from the dead. 
Uh, it's an amazing thing. I, one day we're going to get to meet this guy, which will be pretty cool. But what was that like? He's like, nasty. <laughs> okay, that's, that's great. Uh, I, I encourage you, if you have kids and you read your Bible, read your Bible with your kids. Kids have a wonderful propensity to remember stories in Scripture, so you should do that with them. I know it's hard for you to con- grasp that concept because we as adults can't remember where we put our keys, but kids somehow can remember Scripture. So John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, this is how we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This actually happens in the very next chapter, but everybody knows kind of this story about the woman wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And so John says, this is Mary. You guys know who that is. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, I know who that is. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is the setting. Uh, Jesus has some friends, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus would travel through Judea, Samaria, Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. He travels as an itinerant preacher, as a rabbi, so he doesn't really have a home of his own. Luke 10 lets you know that occasionally he would stop at these people's homes and he would stay there. Early writers have speculated that this was actually a surrogate home for Jesus, where he would stop and he would actually stay there on many of his trips. The last time he was in Bethany, there is huge opposition to him. They want to kill him, and it's been a while since he's been there. So life goes on for these two sisters and their brother, and all of a sudden their brother Lazarus gets sick. His sister sends word to Jesus, hey, your buddy is sick, can you come help out? Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is important because Lazarus actually does die. But Jesus says, that's not the final word in the matter. This is all done for the purpose of God's glory, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. And it's comforting for you and I, I think, in times when we have a lot of issues going on with us, that that is not the end. God works through whatever comes our way to make something beautiful on the other side of that. Jonathan Edwards has said uh, that the object of all things is God's glory, and when God is glorified, people get joy. When God is on his throne and we can accept that, we can believe that and, and trust in that, we find great peace and great freedom and great safety because we are not God. And this is actually illustrated in the next verses. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So if Jesus really loves them this much, you know, why does he wait? Anybody? God's glory. Now, if, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian any amount of time in your life, you will, you will know this. God always seems to be late. Always. But then he's always right on time. Always seems to be late. Always right on time. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. We think he is slow, but God is patient. He comes in his time and not our time when he seems to be late. And we see things like, God, I need you now. And God says, okay, in a couple of days. We go, no, 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 God, now. And he goes, okay, a couple months. No, it's, it's just a priority. It's just chaos. I, I, I need this now. And God says, okay, a couple years. We'll, we'll figure this whole deal out. He teaches us patience. Now, does God not love Lazarus? Of course he does. It just says he does. But just because when you and I are in a place that, that we think the world's going to fall apart and the world's going to end and he's not responding like we think he should, it does not mean the absence of his affection. It means he still loves us and cares for us. He is taking his time to build us into the people that he wants us to be. For us, it can be frustrating because we live in time. God lives outside of time for him. It's not such a big deal. Verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you for blasphemy. This isn't like, hey, they gave you a joint told you to smoke it. It's like they picked up rocks and they were going to hit you with them until you died. Okay? 
and yet you are going back there? This is like, have you ever seen Back to the Future? This is the Marty McFly moment. This is like, they'll kill you. I can just picture one of the disciples being that guy, right? They'll kill. Okay. Uh, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. The Roman and Jewish calendars, they're, they're bro- basically broken into two twelve-hour days. And, and what happened is you would work while it was light. And Jesus says, while I am in the world, it is light. And this is when we do the things that need to get done. So kill me, don't kill me, whatever. I've got to go do this thing. Verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And they say, well, if he's napping, that's really good. Because when you're sick, you should nap and it makes you, makes you feel better. He'll get better. Then we don't have to go there and actually die. So why don't we just let him sleep? Now, sleep throughout the New Testament is a metaphor for death. Because Ecclesiastes 12 says, In the graves our bodies rot. Second Corinthians 5, 6-8 says, We are absent from the body. We are present with the Lord. Our souls go there. Some people take this as metaphor. They say that, well, the body and the soul, they will sit in the ground until the resurrection. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that when we are absent from the body, when we die, our souls go before God, and that's where we stand. It says, Jesus had been speaking about Lazarus, his death, Lazarus's death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I like, Jesus is just like, he's dead. He's not metaphysically challenged. He's dead. This is how it works. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus waits until his, his buddy is dead, and the purposes of Jesus' action or inaction, however you want to say it, is they are going there so Jesus can build their faith. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says that Jesus did many more miracles than we even get to read about. But John picked certain ones so that we would read and we would know and we would believe. The purpose of the miracles is not just for the people who got the miracle done to them. It's for the purpose for the testimony of those who will hear what Jesus has actually done. In our crises, in our sicknesses, in our illness, it's all for God's glory so our faith can be built. Verse 16, then Thomas, and I'm really kind of... I like this about Thomas, what you read right here, because Thomas gets a bum rap. He's the guy that's like, well, I won't believe in Jesus after the resurrection until I can stick my finger in the hole in his hand, which is like gross, really, and I'm going to stick my fist in the hole in his side, then I'll believe. So he kind of gets a bum rap. He says, but then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. I mean, Thomas has got his issues, but you know what? He's ready to die for Jesus. He's like, pack a suitcase, let's go. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And John gives you a really nice thing here because he, he does this whole transition where we miss the whole walk. Wherever they are, getting to Bethany, we just got to miss it. That's like the Star Wars fade, right? It's, all right. I'm just pointing it out. It's... Okay. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their time of loss. It is customary for Jews and their funerals to pack all of their friends and relatives into their home, and they would mourn for a week. Now, if you've ever known somebody that's died, and, and everybody gets together and they mourn, it feels like all the energy and life has been sapped out of a house. It is, it is very sad. Uh, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And here you get a classic look at who these two sisters actually are. One of the best-known stories about Mary and Martha is when Jesus goes to their home in Luke 10. And Martha, she goes on Martha Stewart. And she's like, you know, cutting up vegetables and cutting up food. She wants to cut up her sister Mary because Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet going, Oh, teach me wisdom, Jesus. And she's like, get up and help me do something, woman. 
You know, and she, she's very irritated at her sister. And this is the way that these two sisters actually are. I assume that Martha's probably the older sister because she has a kind of air about her. If you have an older sibling, you know how that goes. Uh, people's spirituality usually go one or two ways, just like this. You have the activist person who when something goes wrong, they get up and they want to do something. What can I do? Put my hands on something. I've got I to get this. And the contemplative person who goes and they study and they read and they think and they introspect. Martha, classic activist. She's like, Jesus here? That's great. I'm going to go meet him. So she starts traipsing down the road to go find Jesus. Mary, she sits and she, and she cries. Jesus comes. He deals with them both in their own way, which I think is wonderful. So Martha goes to Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, she just launches right in. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I sent you a letter. Didn't you get it? It said, come quickly. He's sick. What do you think you're doing? Then she catches herself mid-sentence. And she catches herself and she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So she stops bossing him around. She stops telling him what to do. And she basically says, you know what you can do. I'll leave it at that. If you've ever tried to fight with Jesus or tell him what to do, you know he doesn't like that. Okay, So, so Jesus answered. This, this is great. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I need to explain this to you so you get what Martha is actually saying to Jesus. For the Jews, this whole idea of the resurrection, this is a hotly debated issue. We love the resurrection because next, next week is Easter and it's Sunday and it's Resurrection Day. So it's like, hey, that's great. But for the Jews, this is a debated issue. The Pharisees believed in a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees, who are a group that actually ruled the temple, they did not believe in this resurrection. The only time these two groups come together is when they want to fight with Jesus. And then sometimes Jesus would go, well, what about the resurrection? And they would go, oh, and they start fighting with each other. And he'd be like, see ya. You, know? <laughs> you, see this, you see this with Paul in the book of Acts. You know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are going at him. And he goes, what about the resurrection? And they go, yeah, because they start fighting. Paul's all, see ya. You know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It's just like when you have really kind of religious people together these days. And they're all, just throw like tongues or predestination out there. And they'll be like, ah, and you'll be like, see ya. You know, it's, it's great. It's whatever. Uh, actually, the Old Testament is, I think, much clearer than the Sadducees think on resurrection. In Isaiah 52 and 53, it says the Messiah will come. The Messiah will die. He will rise from the grave. Daniel 12, 2 and 3 says, multitudes of sleep and the dust of the earth will awake, some to after everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. We call this the eternal woodshed. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So the Jews who believe in a resurrection, what they came to believe was the entire nation would be resurrected at one time. Jews struggle with some of the miracles of Jesus because on three occasions, Jesus resurrects people from death. Now, their, their resurrections were much different than Jesus' resurrections as they didn't get glorified bodies and they in turn died again. But they had a hard time believing in Jesus because he would raise one person at a time, not the whole nation. They have a hard time believing in his resurrection because it was just him and not the entire nation. You following? Okay. So Martha says, I know he will resurrect on the last day. In her mind, this is a theological issue she's trying to deal with. But Jesus takes her from that and turns her to him. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Seven occasions, John uses this I am statement. Exodus 3.14, it goes back to this. Moses, classic underachiever, taking care of sheep. Bush is on fire. God speaks out of the bush and says, go and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. And Moses says, who am I going to say sent me? I can't say the bush sent me. Who do I say sends me? And he says, well, tell them I am. I am is my name. I am sends you. And so I am is the name of God. 
And so Jesus uses these I am statements. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of the life. He has authority over all life. All life stems from him. There is no life that you and I can have and conquer death that is apart from him. You must be connected with Jesus. Must be. You must be in him and he in you to live, to experience resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will, even though he die, he, those believe, believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he reaffirms to Martha what he is saying. And after reaffirming, he asks her a question we all must answer. And he says, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha's frantic, she's tired, she's in pain, she's grieved, and Jesus refocuses her off all the stuff she's going through. He's like, calm down. It's like in the book of Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. You're freaking out. Be still, know that I am God. And he refocuses her off of all these things and simply onto who he is. He says, do you believe me? Do you believe? If you do, no worries. God's going to take care of it. Martha's answer, verse 27. Yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You are God come in the flesh to be with us, and I trust you. Verse 28. After, and after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she settles this issue in her soul, so she's now okay, so she goes and gets her sister. The teacher is here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. She's like, Jesus... Yeah, I know. I love Jesus. So she goes running out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And now you see classic Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This is where she always seems to be. And then she says the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm sure Jesus is just like, what, everybody? Come on. You know? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with, uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the Greek text, actually these words, deeply, mo- uh, deeply moved and troubled, it means agitated, perturbed. He was angry. And I don't think that is focused on the mourners or the Jews or Mary or Martha. I think he's agitated by death. I think he's agitated by death. In Genesis chapter 2, God says, you sin, you die. God is life. We walk away from God. We die. Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of, e- of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says we have earned death, but life is given to you and I. And if there had not been sin, there would not be this human death that we experience. And Jesus here sees what sin has done to his friends, what sin has done to the world, the consequences that it has brought to everybody who gets involved in sin. His creation was never supposed to know the sting of death and separation. It was not needed because God created you and I to live. We were supposed to live. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls death our great enemy. And so you and I, we, we know this. We buckle up. We take vitamins. We drink bottled water. We you know, only eat at McDonald's twice a week. You know, we, 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 we want to be careful, but all of a sudden we fight it and we all die. Death wins. One box, one person. Th- that's how it goes. I think Jesus is totally agitated by this, and I'm glad that he is. I am glad that he doesn't just say, oh, well, it's part of life. I have been to funeral. I've done funerals, and I never say that at a funeral. You know, I, I heard that at funerals, and I think it's stupid. Death is not a part of life. The first funeral I ever went to uh, was for a lady who I called Aunt Lindy. She wasn't my aunt. Uh, she was my step-grandma's friend. And she had, this, she had this tiny little yappy dog, you know, like all horror movies are based off of. Got that little, you know, okay, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. Watch a horror movie, you'll get it. Okay, so it's a little tiny yappy dog, and she had a big bowl of candy, just like the Bible says, right? It's, 
my goodness, people. So she has this big boy, and we go over and we eat the cake. She's just a wonderful, nice, kind lady. Now, this is the time my brother and I, we were kids, and we used to like uh, watching wrestling. We thought wrestling was real. And so you'd watch guys like uh, Rowdy Ronnie Piper or uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Anybody? All right. Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Uh, Andre the Giant. So that's the guy from The Princess Bride? Yes, guy from The Princess Bride. Okay, whatever. And I'm sure if my Aunt Lindy got cable, she would have watched it with us. That was the kind of woman that she would be like, yeah, climb on the couch, dive off, woo! You know, I, that, that is exactly the kind of person that she was. And then one day I go and she died. She was dying. And, you know, and I was frustrated by it. I was devastated. As a kid, I never even considered my Aunt Lindy would ever die. And I'm angry. I hated death. Something was wrong. I was like, this is not right. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And this is true. We were built to live. Death is our enemy. We were not supposed to die. Jesus comes and he is agitated. His buddy is dead. Everyone is sad. If it wasn't for sin, this would not have happened. It says, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And he looks and he says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they, re- they replied. And you get to the shortest verse in the Bible. Unless you have an NIV, then it's Job 3.2. But verse 35, Jesus wept. And I think he weeps for sin and for death and for loss and for pain and for Lazarus. He weeps. Verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And I think it's amazing that the God of the universe comes to earth and he is friends with normal everyday people. He's not the, the friends with the, with the mega church pastors. He's, he's friends with normal people, not geniuses, just normal people. And he loves them and God cries and this shows you the heart of God. And it says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And people love to point the fingers at God. Well, if God were real, why, why did this happen? People accuse God of very foolish things. Of course he cares. Jesus is weeping at this point. I mean, everyone tries to come up with little takes on this. We, we write cute little songs like, what, well, what if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus, trying to find his way home? <laughs> right? Oh, no, well, God's just like us. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. You know, he's, he, that is not God. God is not stuck. God knows all. He is greater and he is sovereign than you and I. He is not just trying to figure it out. God, Romans 8 says, God will take all the pain and stuff and he'll work it out for the good of those who love God. God is sovereign. He works things out for good. And when tragedy comes, there are many people who would I just call idiots, and they don't wait to see the other side. They just render a verdict and say, I'm going to walk away. It's like being 10 minutes into a movie and going, oh, I I know how this ends. I don't care. And you just walk out. You don't know how the movie's going to end. Every single guy puts in a plot twist these days. You have no idea what's going to happen. Some people curse God when something happens and they go, I don't like where this is going, and they walk away. We can't. We have no idea where this thing is going. Only God does. That is why we trust him. We keep going because God throws in these plot twists, you know, and then we go, oh, that's what he was doing. Oh, now I get it. We must wait because right now we're only 10 minutes into the movie. Does God love Lazarus? Yes, it says he does. Does God not have power? Of course he does. Jesus proved this over and over and over. So it moves to this place. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And I love John as an eyewitness relates this because it's just like the tomb that Jesus borrowed. I say borrowed because he didn't use it very long. Okay. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He, for he has been there four days. Bad odor. Okay. If, if you have met a sweaty guy, they smell pretty bad. The King James Version actually uses the word stinketh here. 
I think it's, it's a great word. A regular dude stinks. You know, a man who hasn't showered for four days, he stinketh. A guy who hasn't breathed for four days, really, really stinketh. Okay? Martha says he's got like the four-day funk. Don't move the stone. Okay? Now, now, Jesus, I think he wants them to move the stone away because he wants everybody to know this isn't some parlor trick. Lazarus is dead. You move the stone away, it's going to go whoosh. You'd be like, whoa, something's ripe. Right? Because he wants to know every... He, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. So this is going to be a miracle. It's not like I'm faking something out. There's no doubt about it. Verse 40, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? We're not done with the movie yet. So they took away the stone. And went, Woo! Okay? Took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. It's not that Jesus is ever out of communication with the Father. He prays like this at times so people around him would know that he and the Father are on the same mission. They're working together. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's so nice. Lazarus, come out. It's got an exclamation point. In your so it's like this, Lazarus! You got it? You're like, Ksh! you can turn it off for a second if you want. It's like, Lazarus! I sound like a girl when I do that. Lazarus! <laughs> Come out! I, I, I probably can't even do it. I, I can't do it justice because I'm a, I'm a skinny little white boy, you know. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not like this great Hebrew Jewish rabbi. I can't. Augustine actually says this. Uh, he's one of the early church fathers. He said, "The Lord had to say Lazarus's name, or he would have emptied the entire graveyard, the whole graveyard." Been like people, if he said, "Come out," people been like, like a zombie movie. What, you looking for me? He'd be like, "No, no, no, just him. You go back in." Be like, oh, oh. Um, I was I was listening to Mark Driscoll tell this story about uh, how he reads scripture with his daughter, and his daughter now loves this section of scripture when, when they read it. And so to get to that point where Jesus says Lazarus come out, and she would they get there, and he'd be all she'd be all Lazarus come out every time they got there, she, she'd just scream it. So now she starts using it for everything, walking around the house. He'd be in the bathroom too long, she'd be all, Daddy, come out. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. They didn't embalm, these wrapped in cloths. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And I'm sure Lazarus is like, thank you, Jesus, it's been a traumatic four days. <laughs> I can't see, you know. Jesus says, clean him up. I think Martha probably goes in, starts, you know, making dinner, and Mary probably cries and dances around and sings and does whatever she does. And Lazarus gets to go home. Now, Here's the deal. Okay, I tell you this a lot. I tell you this a lot. God initiates with people. It is God who initiates with us. It is not us finding God like He is a scout master with a busted flashlight in the middle of the forest late at night and He can't find His way home. God finds you and I. It is not that we love God, but He first loves us. It is not that we hold on to God, but God holds on to us. We then respond and we love God back and we follow Him back in response to what God has done for you and I. And this happens here. People respond, and they respond in two ways. The first way, I think, is appropriately, and this is called worship, where we follow and we love and we give and we serve. And the second way is called sin, inappropriate, where we disbelieve and we oppose and we become hostile to what he has done, and we fight the truth. Every time Jesus does something, whether it's in this day or even today when Jesus does something in people's life, people have these two reactions. They either respond appropriately or inappropriately. Some people today say, well, if I saw Jesus walk on water or pull a stinky guy out of the grave, well, then I believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. I mean, the Bible is full of people who saw tremendous things. And they did not believe. So you see these two reactions right here. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. So some believe. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They're like tattletales. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is uh, the ruling 70 priests of the nation uh, with the high priest ruling them. Uh, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And we can't have that. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place, that's their temple, and our nation. So you have inappropriate and inappropriate responses in this. See, for them, they, they right now have a good thing going. You know, and they said, our, their religion says this guy's going to wreck this good thing. They have an agreement with the Romans and that they don't get involved in politics and the Romans don't leave them alone in all of their spiritual affairs. And they get job security because the Romans and the temple leaders have an understanding. And now when Jesus claims to be king of kings and lord of lords, well, that can now be a whole lot of trouble for them. Well, Jesus claimed these things. Oh, no, they're going to get mad. They're going to come and take away our place. They think the Romans are going to come and kick them out of their temple. They're deciding between compromise and power and backroom deals and Jesus. And who do you think they choose? Not Jesus. I'll just give you that. See, before everybody goes, oh, I don't know. Before we jump on them like this, we have to realize that we're exactly the same way. Because we all have habits. We all have uh, practices and customs that, that we do that are not necessarily right. And yet, you know, we love it when Jesus is quiet and he just lets us do what we want. But as soon as Jesus steps in and he tells us what to do, when all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm God, not you, you know, and he pushes us around, he thinks he, he knows how to do our lives better than we do, well, we don't like that. We don't like that at all. You know, we have to be careful as people who claim to be religious that we don't get set in our ways and we refuse to be inconvenienced by Christ. Jesus is not committed to the policies and structures of our world that we hold to. He is committed to the glory of God, which means everyone who seeks their own glory is going to be offended because Jesus will take misplaced glory and turn it back to where it's supposed to go, back to the Father. Jesus comes to earth and he picks a fight with everyone. And I think it's just awesome. I think it's awesome. Verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, Caiaphas actually ruled 20 years as high priest, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Caiaphas is a godless man who says it's us or Jesus. And it's going to be us. Okay, we're taking him out. Acts 2.22. Peter says that this happened for God's purposes. Verse 51, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also the scattered children of God in Santa Maria, California, to bring them together and make them one, so that so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And this is the second transition you see in the book of John. Jesus moving about freely to a focused attempt at his murder. And the story does move on. Jesus actually gets arrested, goes on trial, he dies and, dies and he raises from the dead. Which we actually will... Look at a little bit next week. But what I want you to walk out with this morning is this idea of Jesus as resurrection and life. Sin causes death. Had we not sinned, we would not die. Death is our enemy. We do not need to embrace death. We do not need to make peace with death. We do not need to love death or obsess over death. We are not supposed to like death. If you ever lost someone and you hated it, well, good. That's a biblical response. Hate death. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says we all die. Hebrews 9.27 says you will die once. You don't get to come back and do it over. No reincarnation, no karma, no multiple cycles of regress, or everybody thinks they were Joan of Arc, or they lived on Atlantis, or whatever. You know, Everybody dies, and then there's judgment. You die. Your body goes to the grave. Your soul goes before God. And then... At some point, God will put your soul back in your body and there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked according to Acts 24, 15. And there will be judgment. Daniel 12, 2 says there's going to be judgment. Either you're a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. That's how it works. And I think this actually makes a lot of sense because God is eternal. God stands above time. And when we sin against the eternal God, is an eternal type of sin, and the eternal type of sin deserves eternal compensation. So we have two options in this. The first one is this. God, who is eternal, comes as Jesus and dies for our sins and is punished in our place and meets the requirements of eternal compensation because he is eternal. Or you and I suffer eternally to pay for it on our own, to bring justice to our actions. That's the facts right there. The good news, Jesus says, I want you to believe and see the glory of God. He is the resurrection, and He is the life. And though you will die, you will live by believing in Him. The same question that gets posed to Martha gets posed to every single one of us. Do you believe? Don't you, I'm not asking if you believe in life after death. I'm asking if you believe in Jesus as resurrection and life. That's the question. Jesus in John 5.25 says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. John 6.40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. If you believe in Jesus, you will die. Your soul will go before God. And then one day, God will speak your name, and he will call you out of your grave where you decompose and you stinketh. <laughs> Philippians 3.21 says we will rise. And when we rise like this, God will give us a new glorified body like Christ, absent of sin, sickness, and death. We will see him face to face, and what a day that will be when he wipes away our tears. And death is gone forever in Christ. In Christ. I mean, you, we're all people have responded in some type of way in our lives. We've either responded inappropriately, you know, where we've said, God, where are you? Oh, God, you're late. But he's always right on time. Or we have responded appropriately. This morning for you and I, we must be a people who respond appropriately in worship of who he is. This is one of the reasons why we take communion every single week, because communion takes us and has us remember Christ's death. Where we break the cracker like his body was broken. We dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And we respond appropriately in worshiping who He is because of what He has done for you and I. We worship God through communion. We worship God through prayer. If you are someone who has responded inappropriately in the past, or you ask yourself that question, do you believe? And you're like, I don't know. There will be some elders and deacons in the back of the room, and they would love to talk to you. They would love to tell you about who Jesus is if you have a lot more questions. You can talk to me, and I'll be like, I don't know. He's cool. Do you stinketh? You know? And, and they'll pray for you. I mean, if you're a believer who's been, who's been you know, a believer for a while, you know, and you're like, man, Jesus is resurrection and life. I, I would like someone to pray for me about that because I haven't really thought of it that way. They would love to pray with you as well. The band's going to come up, and they're going to do some songs. And these songs, we worship God through song. They, they help to, to reset and refocus us where you know, our minds need to be in the, in the little bit of time we have here where God touches our hearts and speaks to us. We worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back of the room. You can even give online if you're so inclined. You know, and we worship God through giving because God gave to us. And we worship God through fellowship. 
where we meet and we talk to each other. Where, where we can display most visibly our lives so that people will know that Jesus is resurrection and life. I, I say this to you a lot. Worship is much more about what you do outside these walls than what takes place in here. We, we get together like this and we're like, yeah, God's great. Woo, he's wonderful. And, and then you go out these walls and, and take that energy and live as Jesus' resurrection and life out there. I want our lives to be lived in such a way that people see Jesus because of our actions, because of what we do. Resurrection and life should be lived out daily by what we do, by what we do. So we're going to pray. I'm going to play a song. I'm going to get off my soapbox. We're going to take communion and worship Jesus. Father, this morning, we as a people uh, ask that you would teach our hearts to understand resurrection and life, that that is who you are that though we have all been people who have responded inappropriately in the past to certain things you have done in our lives, I ask that we would be those who now respond appropriately. That we would be those who place ourselves at your feet and worship and serve and give the way you have called us to. God, have us be those people that your spirit living in us made us to be. God, as we come to this place uh, that called communion, that you instituted, help us to remember that though you did die, you rose. And your life gives us life. And we can now walk in that life daily. You are good, and we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.